Blog Talk Radio. Okay. Can you hear me now? Testing, testing. Yep. Okay, yep, now can, you can, can hear, you hear me. me. Yep, I can yep. hear you just fine. Okay, perfect. I don't know what give happened me, there. Can, but... can you give me 30 seconds before we start? Yeah, go right on ahead. All right, give me, hold on one second. Testing, testing. All right. Hello? Yep. You can All still right, hear me okay? All right. Yes, good. I, I don't know which one of these microphones is working, but something's working. So yeah. anyway, um, so here's how it works. Um, we, basically, we're not live. So, you know, I'll be editing things and stuff like that. But um, I won't be editing what you say. It's just a matter of cutting out, like, you know, all this extra airtime that we just had waiting to get everything ready to go. So I'm going to record my intro. The first question I always ask somebody is, you know, like, what got you involved with activism? You know, and it's usually kind of like a precipice story. Like, when was the moment you decided, all right, I want to step up and do something about this? Um, and then after right. that, we, you know, there's some questions I want to talk to you about or just about what you do. Um, and this conversation is not just going to be about, like, slamming on riots are bad. It's also about the fact that I... I took, you know, I investigated some of what you do and I'm like, God, this is the solution. This is what needs to be done, <laughs> you know, and like, yeah, I, I wish more attention was given to what you were doing because I think it's a hell of a lot more productive. But anyway, we'll get into that on the show. So I'm going to record okay. my little intro here. Um, when I'm done with this, I'll be processing it and re-uploading it. And if you could do me a favor and share it on your streams, like your social medias as well, I would appreciate Absolutely. it. Okay. My efforts are nonprofit. I'm not monetized. I was a long time ago. I don't, I don't do that anymore. I got back into this just because I didn't like what was going on. So um, anyway, all right. So let me, I'm going to record my intro and then I'll introduce you and we'll take it from there. Do you prefer to be called just Corey or do you want to be called Pastor Corey or? Uh, Most people call me Pastor Corey. All right. We'll go with that. Okay. Hello there, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. If this is your first time tuning in to V Radio, you can check out my archives on Anchor Podcast, Apple Podcast. Uh, you can also check out, it's actually on a lot of different podcast mediums, or you can check out my YouTube channel. If this, you know, you can check out basically it's interviews with activists, scientists, documentary filmmakers, senators, congressmen, politicians, a few good ones. And a lot of great, like, roundtable discussions about current events. Um, I am left-leaning, but my uh, focus is not on trying to really get as much into left-right politics right now, although I have in the past. It's more about trying to bring truth to what's going on in the world. And I feel that the mainstream media has been doing an excellent job of not really, you know, basically serving into this partisan politics stuff, you know, like, creating a situation where you're hearing only what you think you want to hear, you know, or what they think that they can, you know, keep you involved with what they're doing. You know, like they like their ratings. They don't necessarily like the truth. The truth is not always what uh, gets you good ratings, but 
Anyway, um, today my uh, guest is Corey Brooks, Pastor Corey Brooks, uh, and I discovered him actually from a uh, video clip from a different mainstream media outlet, but I would say that the report was really good, and I'm glad that I saw it because it introduced me to Mr. Brooks. Um, so, um, Pastor Brooks, or Pastor Corey, it's uh, great to have you. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I'm glad to be on your show, and uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to share. No problem. Now, Mr. Uh, Corey Brooks, <laughs> Pastor Brooks, there we go. Um, the first question I always ask somebody is, what was the precipice moment for you that made you decide to become involved in activism or politics or just making the world better? Well, we had an uh, issue at our church uh, with a young man getting shot um, that we were doing his funeral. And uh, when those kids were coming into the neighborhood from another neighborhood, um, they were being shot at. And I instantly realized that uh, in the midst of all of this violence, I had not been doing as much as I possibly could do. And that was in 2011. And I made a vow. Uh, to God that I was going to step up and, and really work as hard as I could uh, to solve the issues that we're dealing with, uh, specifically on the south side of Chicago. But I wanted to come up with a model that I believe would work not just in Chicago, but in a lot of these places that are dealing with the violence and the poverty um, that we see in these major cities. Yeah, I can see. For me, my frustration with the situation tends to be that I grew up in Pontiac, Michigan, which is a really rough neighborhood. It's not, it doesn't get as much airplay as Detroit, but I would say it's just as bad. You know, my yeah. next door neighbor opened up a crack house, you know, drive-by shootings were regular. I've been stabbed, you know, and it's like, I think what my problem is, is that I noticed that there are a lot of people that first of all, assume that I have no idea what I'm talking about just because I'm white, you know, <laughs> as if, you know, quote unquote, white trash kids don't live in these neighborhoods too. Um, you know, and also just that they don't, a lot of those people don't seem to have any real insight into what it's actually like to live in these neighborhoods. Like they don't really, like they, a lot of the people who are the loudest about this are not the kind of people who've ever even experienced that. Like I had a friend, um, a black gentleman who attends a lot of these rallies and stuff, and he usually just quietly listens, you know, and he said that he encounters people that uh, you know, that are basically involved in anti-police stuff. And, you know, like, what kind of people do you run into? And he's like, well, I run into two people. He's like two different types of people on average. And I'm like, well, who are they? He's like kids who are completely naive about crime, like don't really know what it's like, you know, and they, what did he say? He said, they think they know the hood because they drove through my neighborhood once to go to a club or to a rock concert or something, you know, but they've right. probably never been shot at. They don't, you know. And I said, well, what's the second group? He's like, criminals. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, just people that I grew up with that are lifelong criminals. You know, he's like, of course they want to like abolish or defund the police or whatever. Um, you know, and I think that that's actually how he and I became friends was that I was involved in an argument on the internet about this and I was told to be quiet, you know, because I'm white. I obviously have no idea what it's like to live in these cities, you know, and he was like, no, you don't know what you're talking about and you need to shut up. You know, which was awkward. But, you know, the, the point is, is that I don't think people are really in touch with what it's like in Chicago, you know, what it's really like in Detroit or what it's really like in Pontiac, especially, you know, there were multiple facets to this that I think are a problem. And one of them I studied up with specifically was the effects of riots. You know, there's a lot of talk right now about, for example, the Tulsa race massacre 
And it's a very relevant piece of history. I think that the irony that is lost on them is that when racist white people wanted to destroy black lives, they went and burned their cities down. They didn't burn their own cities down. You know, um, it causes long-term destruction to the economy, you know, and it goes on for many years. I actually found an article, uh, this is actually a peer-reviewed journal article, uh, it's called Race and Riots, a note on the economic impact of the Rodney King riots, going back to the LA riots. Um, this is just the abstract. When the four police officers who had been videotaped beating motorist Rodney King were found not guilty of criminal acts in 1992, the city of Los Angeles erupted in the worst rioting seen in the U.S. since the 1960s. The loss of life and destruction of property left a significant scar on the city. Time series ana analysis indicates that the Rodney King riots not only reduced taxable sales in the city immediately following the unrest, but that this social catastrophe has had a lasting impact on the economic performance of the city of Los Angeles. And in the 10 years since the riots, this continued loss of taxable sales has translated into a cumulative loss of at least $3.8 in taxable sales and over $205 million in direct sales. I guess to break that down in really layman's terms, people don't want to go invest and open businesses if they don't feel that they can trust that the community is going to be safe. You know, so right. what are your thoughts on that? I mean, that's true. Uh, if people feel that um, the place where they have their establishment or would like to put an establishment is not a safe place, if it's high crime, we see that all the time, not just with the riots, but uh, in living in Chicago or in certain areas where the crime is higher, then the insurance rates are extremely high. And oftentimes uh, some of these businesses don't want to move into the area because of the insurance rates and because of the crime. And so it is with riots. Um, you know, these riots um, tend to wipe businesses out. I, we know of businesses here in Chicago uh, after the riots last year uh, that still have not opened and, and probably will not open. Um, you know, so it's very devastating on the community. It's very hard on the community. Uh, it not only produces a lack of, of businesses, tax, tax, taxing, but it also reduces um, people uh, being able to make a meaningful wage and uh, live uh, in, employed in their neighborhoods. Because when we destroy these businesses through rioting, that's the type of thing that happens. Right. And I think that that's a major frustration I have is that so people talk about, you know, obviously, you know, there's a police issue. I, I feel that the issue as far as to how many people die at the hands of the police is being inflated to some degree. I mean, I think that there's a reason for it. I think they're weaponizing it. But I, I also think that, you know, these kids don't understand that, like, if they're concerned about people abusing authority and hurting people, Gangs will do that, you know, <laughs> and, you know, like yeah. when I was in Pontiac, like um, there was like a two hour response time sometimes if I called the cops, you know, it's not the yeah. cops. It, it's the, 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 you know, that there are, there are authoritarian types who become gang members and then they run the streets. They, they run the show, you know, and when I Absolutely. try to share that information with these people, they, they just think I'm lying or I'm making it up. You know, and I just am like, guys, do you, do you ever just go there? Do you ever spend any time there? And, you know, it's, it's, hard to, it's, it's hard to get through the noise. But you, you know, obviously living in Chicago, which has, you know, one of the most, you know, infamous 
uh, reputations as far as being a tough neighborhood, you know, um, obviously we don't want we don't want people to be killed by the police, you know, who did not in any way deserve it. We don't want any of that. I'm not supportive of that. Obviously, that's a number that we should try to get to as close to zero as possible. But Correct. that's not going to solve the problems. Like, you know, and I guess, you know, when you in your experience, you know, when you're dealing with people who are, you know, whether they're Black Lives Matter activists or, you know, whatever they, you know, whatever you're dealing with at the moment. And to be clear, Black Lives Matter is a large organization made up of very different people with varying degrees of radicalization or, you know, a more common sense thinking. But do you also seem to encounter that like naive nature of people when it comes to crime and, you know, in the city? Uh, I think there is some, uh, there are some people who may be naive to what's going on and it's uh, all because they don't, they haven't visited or they haven't done their research or um, they've only listened to what has been spoken in, in media outlets. Um, but there are a lot of people who are naive to what's going on as it relates to uh, cities across America, these urban centers, uh, a lot of people listen to uh, the, lady, the latest media outlet, and they listen to those stories, and they run with it, not knowing anything about the community, not knowing anything about the people who live in the community and why these things are happening. Uh, they just see it as that's a dangerous place to go, and you may want, not want to visit there. Uh, because that's how media portrays it. But when uh, you get boots on the ground and you, you come to these neighborhoods, you find out the reasons why there there are issues and the problems that exist, why they exist. So, yeah, there are a lot of people who are very naive to what's going on and, and why it's going on. Well, and I think that part of the problem is that I've noticed is that there seems to be a um, – how would I put it um, – Okay, so it seems like the solutions involve a bit of what the political right would say and a bit of what the political left would say. There's no question that violence is connected to poverty. But when I went to school in the ghetto, what I remember distinctly was that, first of all, doing well in school does not make you popular. In fact, it's something that kids get beat up for doing. Like I actually got jumped once for using big words. Like that's literally what they told the principal was their right. motive. You know, he's using big words. You know, it's, it, there's, there's an element to it that is cultural. And I, and I want to say cultural because it's not racial. There's no genetic predisposition to people of color not to do well in school. There's no genetic predisposition for them to be more violent. But I remember the culture and in the culture, you might decide it's time to go get a gun and shoot a kid because they dissed you, you know, like they disrespected you in some way. And therefore Correct. you got to go find that kid and shoot them. You know, it's like, we can't just throw money at that problem. It, it seems like if they could put some energy into activism of changing the minds of the people who are caught up in that, you know, then we could really get somewhere, you know, and I guess, Absolutely. you know, and it's especially, it, I think the problem is, is that it doesn't, it doesn't allow, like, basically the, the current leftist arguments about this, and I say this as an independent who leans left, it, it totally removes that from the equation. Like, we're not going to talk about the culture of the ghetto. You know, we're not going to talk about, like, say, the music. And not all, you know, ghetto music is bad, but, you know, it, most no, of the stuff that I, I listen to. It, say that again, I'm sorry? No, I understand exactly what you're saying. 
Right. It venerates crime. You know, kids, the like gang members are their heroes. They all want to be one. And then the girls all want to date them. You know, if we can't solve that, it isn't going to matter how much money we throw at the problem. You know, so I guess that's my maybe a good segue into what you're doing, you know, to try to affect your community in a positive light to try to bring about these changes. And it involves a consciousness of this. I mean, a major part of it is, I would say, like, you know, you're a pastor. You know, how would you say that over the years that, for example, and I'm not saying that religion has to be the solution for everybody, but it's a good, you know, moral source. Would you say that you get less interest from, say, teenagers than, you know, than pastors maybe did 30 years ago? Oh, definitely, without a doubt. Definitely, without a doubt. I think um, the culture has changed. uh, The times have changed. Uh, there are more things vying for people's attention nowadays than even when I was growing up. You know, these kids have so many new activities and numerous of, of, of social media platforms and all kind of Internet platforms that they can engage in uh, that take up a lot of their times. And uh, even with sports, you know, you don't see as many kids participating, not just in church, but you don't see as many kids participating in sports. Why? Because they're, they're couch potatoes. They're at home on social media. They're at home on these computers and uh, watching TV. So we do see, you know, the impact of the culture on society, specifically in these urban areas like Chicago. And I do believe that um, personal transformation is where it starts. The mind is where we have to transform because you're, you're right when you say no amount of money uh, thrown at a situation is going to solve the problem. It still has the same mindset. So what we do as an organization, we really work on mindsets. We really work on mind change and transformation, change the attitudes and mindsets um, so that people can, can really have a, a, an alternative and um, an opportunity to really, you know, do something meaningful in life. So our organization, we work hard at trying to make sure um, that we provide counseling, that we talk about trauma issues, that we get people everything that they need, not just the training for a job, but we're going to make sure that they have counseling and that they do everything internally um, so that they can impact their external world as well. And that's fantastic. And I think that that honestly is what most defund the police people would say that they want to do. I guess the the problem that I've noticed, and, you know, I'm going to be a little critical here, but I'm not alone in this. There's an awful lot of money that gets thrown into some of these organizations, you know, and then the people at the top of those organizations are for some reason fantastically wealthy all of a sudden, like a certain activist who just purchased four homes that were worth over $500,000, you know, and it's like if I, for example, gave your organization – uh, let's say, you know, like one of the founders of Black Lives Matter's net worth is about $5 million. $5 million. <laughs> what could you do with $5 million in the city of Chicago? Yeah, well, we could do a lot. There's a lot of construction programs, a lot of electrical programs, a lot of mentoring that could be done, a lot of entrepreneurship classes, a lot of financial literacy classes. A lot of things could be done with $5 million, including uh, helping us to build a, um, uh, a, a new community center where we're going to be teaching the trades, where we're going to be teaching entrepreneurship, where we're going to have trauma counseling. We're going to be having all the life transformation tools available uh, at this center 
um, that people would need in order to change their their world and their perspective and and the trajectory of their family. So, five million dollars could go a long way. Right, and that and that that's just like I'm just using that number because it's the net worth of one of those individuals. But the whole organization's right. brought in a lot more than that, you know. And the thing is, is that it all just seems to just be sitting there, like nobody's doing anything with it. You know, and the ones who got independent, well, independently wealthy, I want to be clear, it doesn't look like they stole from the donations. It just looked like because of all the racial tensions and that being a big deal in the media, they can write books that get on the New York Times bestseller list. They can get, you know, different media deals that they wouldn't have been able to get before. You know, and I think that's I guess what I'm concerned about is, is that a lot of money gets thrown into that. And they're doing a really good job of showing up. Like one parent actually said that they're almost like the ambulance chasing lawyers. Like they'll show up, you know, when your son gets shot by a police officer. And then as soon as they get their donations, all of a sudden they're gone. They're not like one lady didn't even get help like with her son's funeral, you know? So it's like, and I don't want to rag on everybody who's involved with that stuff, but at the same time, something's not right. And I wish that more attention was given to what you're talking about, especially, you know, it's not just that. I mean, it's like you can't even bring up the crime statistics without, well, don't bring up black on black crime. And I'm like, okay, I won't bring up black and black crime. Let's talk about ghetto crime, you know, because it's everywhere and it affects everybody who lives there. You know, um, that's it affects the white kids, the Hispanic kids, the Asian kids. If you get caught into that culture. You know, it takes your soul. I mean, it really does. It just takes you over. It just right. totally warps your whole outlook, you know, and it makes violence like something to be cool. You know, so how do we make getting a job be cool? Like, you know, how do we, you know, make um, being a good person, being moral, being, you know, like, how do we fix that? And then I guess it's really going to come from mentors. You know, like I uh, still drive back to my old neighborhood because I'm one of the assistant coaches and director of a youth wrestling team in, you know, in the neighborhood that I grew up in. And it's still a rough neighborhood, but we get these kids off the streets and, you know, they get to use their aggression on something that's more productive, you know, in the sport of wrestling. And I feel like that does more than getting in the streets and burning stuff. You know I mean? I guess that would be, but anyway, you know, just, I guess, speak a bit on your experiences, like as far as like, can you give us some examples of some, success stories maybe like you know anybody that you've turned around that like changed their life because of just bringing awareness of hey man you know there's a different way absolutely our you know our program is full of success stories um and i can tell you so many of them but i'll start with uh a a young man by the name of twin his name is uh barney volker we call him twin because he has a twin brother named varmer his name is barney and barney uh was one of the largest drug dealers uh in our area and not only was he one of the largest drug dealers in our area but he went to prison uh for a 10-year bit federal prison and when he got out he was headed toward right back toward a life of crime going to get back in the streets to do drugs and um but before he did that someone brought him to our organization and i got an opportunity to spend some time with him and take him around the neighborhood and show him all of the things that he and his drug dealing had did. And as a result of that, uh, he became a part of our program. I mentored him. Uh, He's now one of our best uh, violent uh, interrupters, one of our uh, 
people who works on our violence team, and he does a great job. His life is totally transformed. He also has um, a business on the side, um, uh, a luxury car business uh, that he rents. Oh, wow. He rents those cars, and he does driving for those cars, and uh, he's now trying to get his first boat. So, you know, Twin is a, a great success story. And there's a, another guy by the name of Jonathan who works also full-time for us. His six-month-old baby was shot and killed in his arms. Jonathan was a high school dropout. Uh, he dropped out of school at night in the ninth grade, did not know how to read, um, not only not knowing how to read, but after his baby was shot, he was just involved in a life of crime and committed to a life of crime. But we were able to, to grab him, get a hold of him, and help transform his life. Um, and now he works full time with us. He's in a GED program as well, and we are uh, we are trying to you know continue to keep him on the right path and keep him doing all the things that are necessary. So um, that's another one. Then we have Sidney Scales, who was in prison for uh, 20 years, and as a result of him being in prison and getting out of prison, um, getting out of prison. He was able to come work for us, and when he came work for us, he's been working for us ever since, and he's doing a great job. And, and, and so those are the type of individuals that that uh, work for us, and, and they do a great job in the community. They do a great job in helping to um, direct which, what we're doing in the community. They, they're wonderful mentors, and we have guys like this with stories like this over and over and over and we're we're producing, and I, I think we have a great model uh, for what can help transform the lives of people and help with the violence in Chicago. Matter of fact, our 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 what we do is I believe so important um, that even while the violence is going up in the city of Chicago, we're right in the heart of a lot of stuff, but the violence is not is going down in our immediate area, which is a miracle right. in and of itself. So, so we have so many wonderful stories and so many wonderful examples of, of the type of work that we do being a success. Well, Ian, that all sounds fantastic. Like I'm literally just grinning at the concept that this is working, you know, and that, you know, and I agree that, you know, I do think that, you know, some funds should be reallocated. There's no question about that. But at the same time, you know, I guess what I run into, you know, and I guess we'll discuss the delicate concept of policing, but, I don't feel that like, and I, you know, I actually did some research into this, but like there's a Gallup poll that shows that, you know, even African Americans want to see, you know, a steady police presence in their area, you know, and what you're talking about will certainly help the issue. I just don't think that say abolishing the police, you know, especially like if, even if you believe that we should move past the need for it someday, you can't just throw a lever. You know, I think that's, the part that I realize is that, especially because when we talk about being naive about crime, so for example, you know, the Mexican cartel, you know, is a major factor in cities all over the United States, you know, and not just in drug trafficking, but in human trafficking and guns and, and all of that nonsense, you know, and they're very powerful and they would be more than happy to slide into these neighborhoods and fill any kind of power vacuum that was left if you just suddenly didn't police officers. And, and one of the things that occurs to me is that there are, there are processes in place that if you don't like what's going on in your police department, one thing I've noticed is that nobody's even aware of the fact that their sheriff is elected. Like they don't even think about the fact 
you know, if you elect a sheriff, you have enormous power over policing in your county. And these mayors, like a lot of these mayors are just falling over themselves to do whatever, you know, the activists want. So why not pressure them about their appointment of the chief of police and making sure that, you know, that anybody that gets appointed to that position has an agenda of, you know, of lowering any issues so far as police brutality, of eliminating any racist police officers. And the funny thing is every time I bring this up in, in like, say, forums about this topic or whatever, it, nobody wants to talk about it. Like, they don't want to talk about this very real, tangible solution. Like, you know, sheriff elections, they're not, you can't gerrymander them and you can't throw money at them. I mean, there's no corporate money in sheriff elections. You know, find somebody who's capable and elect them to that position and start transforming policing through the system that already exists to make it work for you. You know, I guess, what has your relationship been like? I mean, do you interact with the police at all in Chicago? Like, is there any kind of outreach in that regard? Absolutely. We work with the police as far as, you know, we have a violence uh, impact team of 12 full-time employees that go out into the neighborhood to try to make sure that uh, we stifle all of the violence. So in order to do that, we have to have relationships with the police. Uh, we get notified when there's a shooting in our area so that we can try to make sure that there's no retaliations. We try to make sure that we work with the police as far as uh, helping them to find witnesses to, to murders and those type of things. So we have interactions. We participate in uh, the CAPS, which is the community um, uh, policing uh, meetings. We go, we go to those. We're very active with our, our district. And so, yeah, we're, 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 we, we work with the police department, um, and it's essential because uh, in order to do the type of work that we do, we don't want the police to, you know, we work, we're working with a lot of gangs and a lot of gang bangers, and we don't want the police to think that we're trying to aid and assist them. Uh, so we have to have clear communications to make sure that they understand that we're trying to transform their minds and reform their thinking and, and help them get down another path. So, yeah, we, we have a great relationship, and, you know, I'm definitely not one for abolishing the police and, and all of that. I think a perfect example, if people would look at what's going on in Haiti uh, when the gangs have basically taken over now uh, because the police uh, are – and uh, their president was killed, and the police basically have no power, no, no nothing there. So the gangs are – filling the void and that's what would happen in like urban centers if their police were abolished there there are people who have evil intentions uh in the hearts of man and they will do any and everything to take advantage of other human beings so we need to be aware of that and not be so naive to think that uh abolishing the police will solve our issues because it definitely will only make those issues worse and i think that's where the where my frustration really, when I'm trying to talk to some of these people, it's like that they forget that those people with evil intent you're talking about exist or they're in denial that they exist. Like I've, I've tried yeah. to get through to them, you know, like there's a moment, for example, in the movie training day and, you know, he takes that police officer that he wants to get killed, you know, and he, so he takes right. him to a house with a bunch of Hispanic gangs. That movie scared the jesus out of me because that the hispanics ran the gangs where i lived <laughs> and i was like i knew exactly what he was doing there and what was about to happen to him like what they were gonna i was like oh my god because that was so realistic because that those are the yeah. kind of personalities that run these communities 
you know, and they, that's, the, you know, if you're worried about people who are going to hurt you, you're worried about people who are going to shoot you, you're worried, you know, like, and, and don't get me wrong, you know, there are bad cops. That's not the issue. It's just statistically, you're far more likely to run into them than you are to run into police who, you know, just are just driving the streets looking for people to shoot. You know, that's a caricature, you know, that I think it's a problem because if the media gets a hold of one good video of a bad incident, they'll play that like three million times and it kind of affects the public consciousness. You know, I've told people to go, there's a channel called Police Activity you can watch on YouTube and they're, they're nonpartisan because they show the good shootings you know, and the bad shootings, and I say shootings in the tense of good only because sometimes it's necessary, not because shootings are good. But the point is, is that, like, there was one video in particular that really, really bothered me, but there was this guy, he was on a bus, and he was clearly overdosing, you know, and they gave him some Narcan because he was going to die. Um, you know, African-American gentlemen, they were very gentle with him. They were so nice to him. You know, and they kept asking, you know, hey, we, you know, you really got to go to the hospital. Like, you're going to die. Like, Narcan doesn't save you. It just prevents the problem. We need to get you out of here. You know, and they literally spend like 30 minutes talking to this guy just to try to get him, you know, because they got to search him before they can put him on an ambulance. And eventually he pulls his pistol and he kills a fireman, you know, not a cop, a fireman, you know, and he injured an innocent civilian that was nearby. You know, I'm like. So here's an example of like day-to-day interactions from the you know, perspective of the police officer. They did everything they could to be nice to this guy, and he killed an innocent person and then almost killed another one before they got him. And he ended up living, surprisingly. You know, like they, they shot him once, and then they put him on the ambulance, and they got him out. The point is, like, that's, that's the face of what these people deal with. And I think that there's not just an effort to try to defund the police. It seems like there's an effort to dehumanize the police. Like they just want, you know, they want you to believe that all of them are the same and that they're all these, you know, completely inhuman, like, you know, KKK members or whatever. And I'm sure that there's some infiltration going on somewhere, but most police that I've interacted with, even when I lived in the ghetto, weren't, didn't fit that mold. You know, I think that's, it's unfortunate because there seems to be somebody who has some kind of an agenda to push this issue, whether it's the, the people that are making crazy amounts of money like there's a guy, you know, who does anti-racist training who literally got paid $20,000 to give a 45-minute, you know, presentation to a school on a Zoom call. Like he didn't even, he didn't have to go. He could literally do it from right. his office. You know, now imagine what we could do with $20,000 in a program like yours. You know, like <laughs> which one of these things is going to be more constructive? You know, it's like, do, do, is it going to be paying some guy 20 grand to go do a Zoom call? to a primarily say white high school to tell them all that they're privileged and that they're, you know, that they're bad people, or would it be to actually invest in the communities where these problems are actually happening? Like that, that's what bothers me about it. It's like, it just seems like such a wasted opportunity. And I wish like, you know, like I wish, for example, you were on Joe Rogan talking about this right now, like somebody with a bigger platform. I wish that what you're doing could get the kind of national attention that we really need. And they do sometimes like, I was something else I remembered, like during the eighties when gangster rap was really big, even the rappers themselves kind of understood that what they were doing in some ways made them responsible. And they tried to get involved in activism about anti-crime and somebody, uh, I don't know if you ever watched the old show, I think it was called rock, but you know, it was a sitcom, you know, and there was some activism. Yeah. Um, 
and the basic he was a garbage man you know and a and a drug dealer moved into their neighborhood in this episode and so he got the community together to run this guy out of town and i'm like well that's awesome <laughs> you know it's dangerous yeah. <laughs> don't get me wrong you know but that's the kind of like you know why isn't there any kind of vitriol or anger about some of these people with evil intent like you say who kill and hurt innocent people you know like they don't ever want to those people are invisible it's like they've disappeared you know and I, I I don't I don't know who it benefits to do that aside from the fact that as we talked about when this broadcast started riots destroy a community's economic ability they make it so that nobody wants to invest there nobody wants to you know open businesses there which means no jobs you know like what, what kind of you know what kind of solutions do these people think they're going to get well if it's just to go around telling everybody that all of your problems are because of people who aren't even living in these communities and, you know, and that instead you should you know, be focused on like, you know, what can you do to make your situation better? You know, that's the element that just does it. It gets completely neglected. And that's why I said as an independent, I see that both sides are right to some extent. And that's the problem is that because say a guy like Ben Shapiro says it, nobody on the left ever wants to hear that. And if you were to say something about say personal responsibility you know, about teaching kids, you know, how to get into the trades. Like when you said that, like, you know, my eyes lit up because like, oh, the trades are on fire right now. You know, like you can get kids involved exactly. in that. Like I, you know, I talk to guys who are, um, they're, they're dying for apprentices. They can't even find them. You know, like they're like, oh, please come and be my apprentice. You know, no college debt, you know, and you get immediate pay on the job. You know, like that's fantastic. And I hope you succeed in it. You know, like, I guess my question would be, you know, uh, to you is that now that we, you know, we've kind of discussed what it is that you do, you know, um, it, what would you like to see change in the public discourse about this topic? Like, what do you think people are not seeing or not hearing? Yeah, I, I think um, one of the things that people are definitely missing what we're talking about now. Uh, the grassroots efforts uh, at, at, at on the on the you know at, at our level that are successful and that are working. I think we need to bring more exposure to models like ours um, that work, and so that we can get these models in other areas, and so that we can um, expand and build capacity for the work that's going on. <laughs> I think that's one of the things that is definitely desperately needed uh, so much um, the exposure that uh, needs to go with uh, creating these opportunities and, and, and giving people alternatives to the lifestyles that they've been using are so important but if we can't get the exposure and if we can't build capacity then we'll never be able to help as many people as necessary so I think uh, that's one of the things that I would like to see changed the second thing I would love to see changed is that for more people to work together I think we've become so divided in this country, be it left or right or, you know, black and white, and, you know, we, that that we simply are failing to have compassion. Um, we're so busy fighting, it's become a distraction. And I, I would love for us to come, come together more on issues that we're faced with uh, to help people. And I think if we could do those things, I think we can help make the world a much better place, especially these areas that are struggling with poverty and violence. 
Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, you know, I hope that, like, that was one thing, like, I'm glad that I watched that segment, you know, because, you know, it addressed, like, you, you addressed the fact that riots don't, don't work. What I wish the segment had talked more about was what you're suggesting that does. <laughs> like, right. there's, there's yeah. plenty of, there's plenty of attention for here we have a black pastor saying riots don't work. There wasn't enough attention, in my opinion, to, but if we were to do this and actually address, like, the community and the culture and, you know, then we could actually, you know, fix these things. Like, that's why I wish came out of that segment. I mean, I'm glad it got you exposure, you know, and it's the reason I was able to find out what you were doing, but I got more of that out of, like, doing my own research after having learned your name, you know, and I, and I get it. It's still important, and I think that one of the things that bothers me is that aside from the fact that that's why I opened up with this issue about the Tulsa race massacre was because they want people talking about that, but the same people that are asking for that, you know, about the destruction of black wall street needs to be public knowledge are also the kinds of people who are apologists for rioting or even just outright encouraging it, you know, like, and it's like, all you're doing is shooting yourself in the foot and, and it's not fixing racism. It's not, fixing any kind of um, uh, tension between people of different races. And it's like, I had a, I don't know if you've ever studied the work of Daryl Davis, but he's a black man who like actually rescues people from the Ku Klux Klan. And I use the word rescue because it's a cult, you know, it's a cult most racist groups are cults, you know, and you know, it's his work too, does so much more to fight against racism. And one of the things I pointed out to him is like, what frustrates me is that, if and Martin Luther King understood this, if if your concern is that you don't like that your particular group is being profiled as violent criminals, the solution would not be to go out into the street and behave exactly as racists say you're behaving. Like that doesn't make any sense to me, you know. And because I because I follow Daryl's model, I talk to real racists, and by real racists, I mean like actual members of real racist organizations and they're loving this stuff. They think it's great when, you know, black people are, you know, convinced to burn down their own communities. They think that's awesome. Not just because of the fact that they're happy to see people suffer who are other colors because they're ignorant, but also because it helps them recruit. Like they get more interest for their organizations because, you know, of these kinds of things that are going on. In addition to the fact that there's an anti-white sentiment, that is, you know, going to inevitably cause more people to, you know, kind of react in the uh, in the opposite direction. I just I usually describe it as a like a tribal instinct that's in the back of our subconscious that tells us that, you know, if you're insulting my group, I'm going to insult your group. And then it just becomes about, right. you know, that. And it's a big, stupid distraction. And it doesn't even really look into the real root causes. It's the same thing that um, I did an episode about racism between the Asian community and the black community and what creates it and how it happens. And, you know, they're, they're blaming that on white people too. And I'm like, that, that's not what's going on. Like, this is what happens when people live in a poor community and they divide themselves up, like then this will happen. Like, you know, there are some communities where the Hispanics and the blacks don't get along, you know, um, there are Asian gangs, Like, you know, that's one of the things about the movie Gran Torino that was so realistic to me. I was like, man, they talked about the fact that the gang culture infects, you know, the Asian community, too. That's something nobody talks about. You know, it's it's all, you know, first of all, the word ghetto 
is assumed to be a racist term, even though, you know, when I grew up, it again, it was every kid who lived there could be tempted into that. You know, in fact, I would have to say I had more problems with white kids that were beating me up because I was another white kid, like they were trying to prove something, you know, um, than I did with people of color, <laughs> you know. But the point is, is that nobody wants to have these realistic conversations like you and I are having about the real nature of the problem, you know, and I also think that there's not enough exposure to the reality of what's going on. Like I just watched an episode of a show called like no go zones, which was, it's a series about these communities. And this one in particular was about Detroit, you know, and that's actually where I kind of came to the conclusion. I was like, this guy was right. They're interviewing this guy. He's like, all the kids want to be gangbangers. He's like, kids don't want to go to college. And I was like, oh, man, that's exactly right. That's exactly what's going on. How do we fix that? You know, and I think that what you're doing is the solution. And I hope that more people get on board with that because I don't think Patrice Cullors or any of the other founders of Black Lives Matter need any more money. I think people who are doing what you're doing need more money, you know, and right. I hope that have you like, do you have any outreach in any other cities? Like, a, you know, maybe have a network of people who are doing what you're doing? Uh, we we don't have a network, but we're in the process of trying to start a network, uh, specifically in, in St. Louis and New Orleans. So our goal is to start a Project Hood in uh, St. Louis and in New Orleans and hopefully uh, produce the same results that we're producing here on the south side of Chicago. So we're definitely going to have a network, and we're definitely planning on expanding. Excellent. You know, and another organization that pops into my head, again, kind of like pulling from my uh, wrestling background, there's an organization called Beat the Streets, and they bring the sport of wrestling to kids in communities like yours. You might consider reaching out to them because, you know, they do fundraisers for that purpose and things like that. You know, and then they just they try to open up wrestling clubs. You know, boxing is another an excellent example, you know, um, of a sport that ironically, all the best coaches are in those neighborhoods. I mean, everybody who's involved in boxing yeah. is that, you know, and that's a sport that, you know, if you've got aggression, if you've got anger, you know, it can be it can be a way to save you. Like there's so many like I was watching that show, The Ultimate Fighter, which is about MMA fighters. And there were so many kids who got saved by combat sports, like as in gave them an outlet, you know, like their, their lives before that had just made them into a different kind of human being. And they needed a way to express that that wasn't actually going to be destructive. And those sports helped them. And I agree with you about the, the sports problem as far as participation. And it's, it's really unfortunate. And we see this, you know, in wrestling, for example, like we're trying to get kids to wrestle and, you know, a lot of them, they don't even get out of the warm up. <laughs> like they're like, Nope, I'm done. It's so much easier for me to be elite playing, you know, Counter-Strike or, God, that shows my age or you know, games the kids are playing now, you know, um, because it, it's less work, you know. But I guess, you know, um, but anyway, you know, this has been a fantastic conversation. And I, I really want you to stay in, stay in touch. And I want to see if I can try to get you on other shows to talk about this, because I – What's really bothering me is that, unfortunately, I have to spend a lot of energy trying to disentangle the misinformation about what's going on. And my audience is going to be limited by the fact that there are people, as as I said, when we started, have been convinced that no white person could ever possibly understand this problem. You know, and I think that it's really what they don't understand. It's like, no, no person who hasn't lived there really gets this problem. Like, you could get it if you went and visited there. 
you know, like you could watch documentaries about it, for example, you know, but it's not, you know, this, this problem is for everybody who lives there. And that's why when I saw what you were doing, I'm like, oh man, like, <laughs> I, I wish there were programs like what you were talking about. Cause like, I didn't, I got out of there, but it's, in order for me to get out of there, it, it, it just amounted to me like making sacrifices. Like where I live now, I live in a country neighborhood, but I don't have a bedroom in my own apartment and our apartment's very small and we just kind of cram our family into it. That's the only way we could get out of where we lived, you know, like, right, um, that's, right. you know, it's, there's no, you got to claw your way out or get, you know, and there's a certain degree of luck to it. It's not all hard work. I wish it was. I mean, my mom, you know, she had two, sometimes three jobs, you know, trying to, and that was just to, to live in the neighborhood, the bad neighborhood that we were in. That's all she could do. You know, but the point is, is that, you know, like, man, if there was like an opportunity for me to get involved in trades when I was a teenager, that would have been fantastic. You know, like if there was like, I would, I have to say I'm very helpful for like the boys and girls club and we had one, you know, I'm very thankful yeah. for that. You know, do you ever work with them? Yeah, we do. Um, we've done some work with them. We've rented out our facility for uh, the boys club before and, um, yeah, they're they're great. They're a great organization. It's very unfortunate that there's no boys and girls clubs on the south side of Chicago. That's well, wow. Maybe should maybe figure out a way to fix that. <laughs> yeah, because um, that was it was a great place to go. I mean, there's a swimming pool, billiards, you know, like, and it, it gave kids somewhere to go hang out where it was safe, you know. And so, anyway, you know. Um, I, I guess now, how can people learn about what you're doing? Like, what, can you go ahead and give your website information? And I will put that in the description of this for anybody who misses that too. But, you know, where should people check Absolutely. out what you're doing? Absolutely. They can go to Project Hood. Uh, that's Project H-O-O-D, Project Hood, uh, dot org. Hood stands for Helping Others Obtain Destiny, Project Hood dot org. And they can find out all the information about our organization and how to stay in touch with us. They can uh, sign up for our newsletter. And we would love for people to stay in touch and find out what we have going on and, and hopefully uh, encourage and spread the word for us. Awesome. Awesome. Now, you know, um, we've, we've talked to, you know, about a lot of things. Is there anything we missed? Is there anything else you'd like to address about what it's like you know, being an activist like you in the communities that you're in? No, I think you did a great job. I think we covered it very well, and I think uh, I think you did a great job. All right. Well, excellent. Um, thanks again. You know, and just do me a favor and, you know, and share this. I guess, you know, I, I, can, I can't promise that people agree with everything that I am going to say in my different videos and shows, but at the end of the day, you know, what I've also been trying to combat against is not just about what's going on, you know, as far as racial issues, but it's what's going on so far as all issues. Society, as you pointed out, has become so polarized that it's really hard to talk to people about anything. Like, you know, the funny thing is, it's like, you know, um, I'm a left-leaning guy. I voted for Bernie Sanders, but I have conversations usually that are more productive with people on the opposing side, you know, but if I try to talk about anything that we just talked about, like if I, if I had this conversation, even on a Bernie Sanders forum, people would be all over me. Like, you know, how dare you this? And how dare you that? You know, like right. I'm getting called racist. And yep, that's obviously what my problem is because I want to bring peace to the ghetto. It's because I'm racist. <laughs> you know, it, it's like, they just, I, I don't know. It, you know, the funny thing is, is that it reminds me of um, when religion got out of control 
during things like the witch hunts and the Inquisition. You get these people who appoint themselves witch hunters, and then they're just looking for some way to prove how virtuous they are by bringing somebody down, you know, and it just creates so much noise, you know, because like, oh, look, we found a racist. Now I'm going to tell you you're racist for 30 minutes. I'm thinking, man, you really helped, didn't you? You know, you you did so much for the community by doing that, didn't you? Like, (laughs) you could have spent that 30 minutes, like, you know, helping somebody build a community center in Chicago. Here's this information. (laughs) All right. Um, Pastor uh, Corey, this was a fantastic conversation. Um, I will probably call you briefly when we are done here, if that's okay with you. Um, You know, and I will put, and I will put that information, um, you know, in the description for the show. Uh, You know, just share my show. I I don't make any money on this. I have in the past, but that's not currently my plan. Um, If I ever return to doing it for money, it would be because I have some physical limitations that make it difficult for me to do the job I used to do. I have a spinal injury that unfortunately is probably never really going to go away. Um, So, but do share it because what I've also noticed is that conversations like this don't really get any attention, you know, even on YouTube you know, like there's some kind of algorithm they have set up so that they're like, now, if we were going to post a video about why we should hate each other, that would get all kinds of attention. (laughs) We were going to post a video about constructive actual solutions for real problems going on in these neighborhoods. Good luck. (laughs) I mean, like the only reason we were having this conversation was a guy was doing a video about riots. That's, that's the unfortunate part. So thanks again. Um, you know, Pastor Corey for coming on and, you know, if, if you know, you. I hope to perhaps talk to you again. So right, I will call you, so you briefly. You're good to go. Thanks a lot. All right, thanks so much. Yep. So that was Pastor Corey Brooks, an activist, you know, who's really bringing positive change to these communities that really need it. And, you know, I, I have to say, I hope that people pay attention to what he's talking about because he does understand he's there on the ground floor of where these problems are going on. And it's not a black problem. It's not a white problem. It's not a Hispanic problem. It's not an Asian problem. There's a cultural issue going on in that area, you know, and it is holding people back. You know, you have to change the culture of your community or none of this even matters. You can patrol the streets, you know, screaming slogans and complaining that another person got shot by cops and continue to ignore that, you know, probably a hell of a lot more people were shot by gang members, you know, but we could just Thanos snap all of the police and all of the white people out of existence tomorrow and none of this would change. You know, I'll leave you with this thought because I have a video about this on my channel. When they had the police no-go zone at the George Floyd Memorial, there were some journalists there recording videos talking about how there was going to be police reform, and a gunfight literally broke out behind them in real time. And the people in that community, as you can see, and I'll probably link that video in the, the description of this as well, have all talked about how eliminating the police in this situation, because they couldn't go to the memorial, and didn't solve it. In fact, the crime got worse. If you want to solve crime, we have to change the criminal culture. Thanks again for tuning in to V Radio. Actually on Adam Friended's show pretty soon here. He's a different YouTuber who took interest in my work, and I'm going to be on his show pretty soon. If you have any guests that you would like me to check out, you know, please let me know. Um, and if you have any topics that you'd like me to address, please let me know. 
uh, please share the hell out of this because I'm getting throttled again. Like my last show only got like 90 views for some reason on YouTube. I'm still doing okay on the podcast side, but I'd like to be able to build my audience in both directions. Thanks again for tuning in to V Radio.